This is Looking Back, a program where I'll be remembering highlights, low points, adventures, and lessons learned during my first 75 years. I'm Robert Harmon, and I'll be looking back at an often unplanned, but mainly grateful life. I hope you'll join me as I throw in a little history, some culture, and maybe a few observations along the way. My 1970 Greyhound bus trip from New York to the Grand Canyon. There I was, sitting in a Greyhound bus at the Port of Authority, New York City, ready for the start of my big adventure across the USA. Apart from music and movies, I'd never really given America much thought. In fact, it seemed too big to think about. It was like something that had been made up. While growing up, we young lads would play games pretending to be cowboys and Indians or Japs and Americans. There were no pretend shoot 'em up games called Highlanders and Redcoats or Britons versus Germans. It was all very US-oriented, and I had no idea why other than that was just the way it was. Even much of the music we kids in the 50s and 60s listened to was American or American-influenced, sung by English pop stars like Lonnie Donegan, Tommy Steele, Cliff Richards, or Adam Faith. But when the opportunity presented itself, I took it and visited that mysterious, exotic land of Technicolor movies, The Beach Boys and Jimi Hendrix. And the USA turned out to be more than I could ever have imagined. I remember during trips into New York City seeing restaurant signs advertising 24-hour breakfast, which made me laugh because that made no sense to me, or the seeming unfairness of being able to get endless cups of coffee for the cost of one cup, yet having to pay for each individual cup of tea and at the same time realizing just how out of touch I was after seeing the Woodstock movie. Up until that moment, I had known nothing about that concert or Fantasia, the old Disney movie which had been re-released that year. I had to keep my ears and eyes open or I'd miss out, but at least I did see the band playing live at Queen's at Forest Hills Tennis Stadium. The long and the short of it was that everything about America was different. Each day was a new movie of sights, sounds, smells and smiles, and I was glad to be there enjoying myself. After staying with my aunt in New Jersey, working at a lumber yard for a month or so, I knew it was time to go. There was a pickle factory next to the lumber yard, and some days the smell and humidity were just too overwhelming. It was also the case that I was keen to start travelling 
and visit places like Niagara Falls, the Grand Canyon, and Disneyland, and thinking that everything else would be a bonus. I also knew that those three places were far apart, really far apart. However, with my student Greyhound bus pass, I could travel anywhere in the U.S. and Canada within a two-month period for $100. The overnight bus from New York City took me to Niagara Falls, and to really see it in all its power and majesty, I knew I had to go to the Canadian side of the falls. After crossing the border, I spent a good part of the day wandering around, enjoying the roar of the falls, the boats with passengers trying to get a closer look and trying to comprehend the sheer volume of cascading water. I had just finished a geology class, so knew that the river was slowly eroding the falls, and with the volume of water, guessed that the falls wouldn't last more than a million years, by my amateur estimate. While gazing, I was told that the best time to see the falls was in the evening, when there would be a coloured light show but I knew I'd miss that because my plan was to get an overnight bus to St. Louis. So I went back to the U.S. side to catch a bus and remember a customs officer being puzzled and curious about my very short stay in Canada. I'd seen what I came for and was now ready to head west. I don't remember much about that journey to St. Louis except that the land looked flat and there was lots of corn growing. Once again, I was confused by the two varieties of English. I'd be looking at a field seeing maize while being told it's corn, and when I'd see what I call corn, being told that it's wheat. You say tomato, I say tomato. The bus speeded on regardless of my pronunciation confusion, and before I knew it, an enormous river had appeared, and suddenly the bus was stopping in St. Louis. The bus station was within walking distance of the Mississippi River, and that's where I eagerly headed to see this once-upon-a-time liquid roadblock to the west. The width of the river was so stunning that I burst out laughing in disbelief. I had grown up beside a river, but the Mississippi had to be at least 20 times wider than my skinny Scottish River Dawn. It was the scale of things that began to impress me as I travelled. The skyscrapers in New York, for example, had been unbelievably tall. The journey from New York City to Niagara took over 12 hours, and the bus never left the state. And New York State was almost twice the size of Scotland. And now there I was, standing near a river of hitherto unimaginable width. Along the banks of that serpentine, liquid behemoth was a park where I enjoyed walking, thankful to be able to stretch my legs after the long bus journey. After sightseeing around St. Louis, I did get a little bit lost, but once I found the streets named after various trees, I was able to orient myself and get back to the bus station, where the board showed a bus heading for Los Angeles within the hour, so I retrieved my small backpack from the locker and headed west.
what I treated was to board the bus because it was a large greyhound scenic cruiser and passengers at the back could sit high above the traffic for an incredible view of the surrounding countryside. To me, it was like a luxury liner for the road, and I loved that image, and I also loved that we were beginning to leave the humidity behind. Leaving St. Louis, the bus was relatively empty, and over the next 20-plus hours, while heading for Albuquerque, New Mexico, a small group of us slowly became friends. Soon we were on Interstate 44, heading west, when Gladys and her food hamper made herself known to her six fellow travellers at the back of the bus. Within a short time, we seven strangers, with lives, hopes and destinations hitherto unknown to each other, moved into seats to form a more friendly, intimate pod. Soon we were sharing our stories and how it was that we were on this particular bus. There was Jack, a student from England, a young hippie couple, a young man thinking of going to Canada to avoid the draft, another woman, Vera, maybe in her mid to late forties, heading for Oakland, California, to meet her wounded son on his way back from Vietnam. And then there was Gladys, a small, friendly black woman, around 60, with grey hair, glasses, the loveliest of smiles, and a heart of gold. She was headed for Los Angeles to visit her family, and it was she who brought us all together with her food hamper. And as we all know, there's nothing like food to bring people together. Gladys said that she always travelled with a food hamper because it was a great social icebreaker. Apart from Vera and Gladys, we were all kids in our early 20s who soon became a happy unit. Every few hours, the bus stopped to let passengers off or on, and we would collectively take the opportunity to get off, stretch our legs, get something to drink, or find the restroom. Always quicker and easier for men than women. I've always thought that if I were in charge of architectural projects, I'd always ensure that every establishment would have at least two or three times the number of toilets planned for women or make them all unisex. The toilet on the bus was unisex, at least. Looking back, those hours on the scenic cruiser were some of the fondest of my entire time in America and gave me a glimpse of the best of America. It was a time when the Vietnam War seemed to imbue everything in America. Gladys had grandchildren in Nam and was not happy about it but she said the benefits were good if you survived. It took me a while for that to sink in. Go get shot at, survive, and the government will pay for your college tuition. I preferred the Scottish option. Pass your exams, and then the government pays your tuition. I kept that thought to myself, however. Vera was equally unhappy, but grateful that her son's injuries weren't too life-threatening, and that he would be coming home alive. The young potential draft dodger was given much support and encouragement by Vera and Gladys, knowing only too well what could happen to him. The hippie couple was part of our little spontaneous tribe, 
but as young lovers they were sweetly quiet and hesitant to say too much. They may have been running away from home, I can't say, but they were definitely looking forward to getting to California. Imagine, if you will, two long-haired teenagers clad in fringed buckskins and headbands, a young, tallish, slender Englishman bearing a slight resemblance to Peter Fonda in Easy Rider, and a very smartly dressed mother trying to keep herself emotionally together during the bus journey, with plans to get her hair done before going to Travis Air Force Base not far from Oakland. Then there was a young man, not in college, hair not overly long, with no desire to go to Vietnam, even though his number indicated otherwise. In a dilemma, but increasingly inclined to go to Canada, even though he knew no one there. There was me enjoying the company, the different accents, the countryside around, from farmland to more scrubby terrain, fewer trees and a lot more brown in the landscape. Everything was so different, and I was taking it all in while beginning to get a sense of how huge and diverse America was. Then there was Gladys, her hamper, and her huge, caring heart. A woman who had probably known more pain, abuse, discrimination, and hostility than the rest of us combined. It was she who brought us all together under her massive tent of humility, quietude, love, and inclusion. A woman who may have lived her entire life in a state of caution and watchfulness, knowing that her grandson in Vietnam was protecting the idea of America as global policemen, while also knowing that the local police, the cops on the street, probably saw her grandson as trouble because of the color of his skin. Yes, she said to her young friend, go to Canada. This country ain't good enough to die for. Before we knew it, our bus had pulled into the then relatively small city of Albuquerque, New Mexico. I was arriving in a part of America which over the years has become very dear to my heart with its landscapes, climate, art and quirkiness. It's unlike any other state in the Union and thank goodness for that. I truly love its cultural diversity and like many western cities and towns, Albuquerque has experienced explosive growth over the last 50 years. We spent about an hour there, and the dry air smelled of pinion. The sky was unbelievably blue, like no sky I had ever seen, and it was dry, dry, dry. There I was in the desert southwest for the first time, and it was intoxicating. Soon, however, we all had to pile back into our bus, with ever more passengers, and we were on our way to where I'd say adios to my new amigas and amigos. It was to be years later that I'd discovered that on the journey from Albuquerque to Flagstaff, we'd pass the painted desert, the petrified forest, and meteor crater. I was happily oblivious to those wonders of future discovery, too content in the company of kindred souls. 
At Flagstaff, I disembarked to take another bus to the Grand Canyon. On the journey, I'd learned that Jack and I were both headed for the Grand Canyon, so we hugged and said our goodbyes to Vera, Gladys, and the others, and before we knew it, they and the bus were gone. We spent the night in Flagstaff and shared a room in a cheap hotel. Before leaving for the States, I'd been given a small student package which included a booklet with useful travel information which included names, addresses, and phone numbers of inexpensive places to stay throughout US and Canada. It was put to immediate good use. Next morning, we caught a bus to the Grand Canyon and I left my luggage at the drop-off location. We quickly found the main store for groceries and supplies and headed on over. I bought myself a suede hat, sunscreen for protection, plus a cheap green sleeping bag, snack food for a few days, and a couple of bottles of water. This is what had been recommended as a bare minimum by the folks in the store. And, as a good, tight-fisted Scotsman, I simply bought the bare minimum. The two of us had no sooner left the store than a park ranger came over to Jack and arrested him for stealing some stuff. It happened so fast, and suddenly he was gone. He'd always seemed like a smart, level-headed sort of guy, but obviously not. I never saw him again. I didn't dwell on him too much since I was already making my way to the rim, dying to see what the Grand Canyon looked like. I got to the rim and started crying. Overwhelmed as I was by the immensity of what lay before me, the majesty, the scale of it all, the time frame of it all, staggered me into insignificance and thankfulness. After years of fantasizing, I'd finally made it and was facing out into a landscape too overwhelming to describe. Humbled by its depth and scale, I was joyful beyond belief, and all the while appreciating again how incredible life can be at times, and was thankful for it. This has been a sauna sound studio production with support from all the little bees up in the trees folks who sneeze and bend their knees for the cats meow and the dogs bow wow in old time indiana <laughs>